Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. For many of us, pornography is a dirty secret, but it's also a multi-billion dollar business. And, like much of American entertainment, perpetuates stereotypes about Black people for profit. Images of Black women in pornography and Black men really permeate society. These images don't come from nowhere. Pornography did not create racism, but it amplifies that. Racism in porn and how it affects the people who watch it and those who make it. Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Just a warning. Today's episode deals candidly with the topic of pornography, so it may not be appropriate for all listeners. Though many people don't talk about it, millions of Americans do watch pornography. And credible estimates show the industry generates upwards of $10 billion a year in the United States. That's more than Hollywood. While there's a raging debate about how pornography commodifies the exploitation of women, Less talked about is how pornography can fuel racist stereotypes about black people and how black performers are often exploited inside the industry. Carolyn West is hoping to change that. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Washington who studies racism in the pornography industry and its impact on black women. She's also produced an upcoming documentary on the issue called Let Me Tell You About Black Chicks, Images of Black Women in Pornography. And Carolyn West joins us now. Welcome to A Word. Thank you so much for having me. You produced a documentary. Let me tell you all about black chicks, images of black women on pornography. Now, I'm going to give the audience some context here. Let me tell you all about black chicks is actually a sequel to let me tell you all about white chicks. The movie came out in 1985, and it wasn't just the epitome of porn in the 80s. It featured some ridiculously offensive scenes with white men dressed as Klan members having sex with black women. Now, it had your typical porn scenario of a bunch of black women who were maids or domestic servants, and they were sitting around and talking about their sexual experiences with white men. But I just want to start, Dr. West. Why did you use the title, Let Me Tell Y'all About Black Chicks, for your documentary? And what was your introduction to porn? And how did that lead to the research you do today? I named it that. It just seemed to be the app name for the documentary because I wanted to understand what's going on. And I wanted to understand what were the messages that were getting depicted about Black women. And if I could unpack that, because I'm a not only a documentary filmmaker, I'm a clinical psychologist by training and a domestic violence and sexual assault researcher. So I wanted to know how those tropes impacted African-American women in our daily lives. What does it mean that for many African-Americans, the first time they actually see people having sex, any variation of sex, 
is through pornography. How does that potentially warp our perceptions of self, our perceptions of body, and, and, and black women's perceptions of their own selves and their own sexuality? I think it can be hugely problematic because, as you said, we don't see ourselves in these places. And if you look at mainstream pornography, oftentimes those images are ahistoric. And what I mean is that pornography takes these images and it eroticizes, sanitizes uh, historical trauma in a lot of ways. And so let me give you an example. Remember the movie 12 Years a Slave? Pornography loves parodies. And so what they did is they created 12 inches of slaves. And so all of that trauma of, of Black men being dis dehumanized, stigmatized, seen as predators, etc., Porn takes that, eroticizes it, it sanitizes it. And so the images that you see of yourself are distorted and, and warped. So then we have no place where we're seeing ourselves and our, our healthy sexuality for African-American people. How are white people's prevailing racist and, and problematic notions of black sexuality, how do those play out in general? What does it mean that in the pornography industry, the vast majority of even quote unquote black porn is directed, created by white people and created for a white audience? It's just another space. Pornography did not create racism, but racism is effective search engine optimization. So they're going to drive people to those images that we see that permeate all of society. And so we have to think about how those images really shape how Black people are viewed throughout society. So if Black men are still depicted as these brutes, think about Birth of a Nation. That was one of the early movie depictions of black men as brutes who were out like marauding and running amok and sexually assaulting white women. And so that image then just gets reinforced and sent out through the entire society. And that shapes how we then see African-Americans as dangerous, sexually promiscuous and out of control. Porn consumption outstrips almost every other kind of media consumption in America. Like pornography is viewed more than Avengers Endgame. Pornography is viewed more than your biggest Hollywood hit. And oftentimes people don't want to be honest about what they're consuming and why. Why do you think that stigma about pornography continues to exist? Even though it is so pervasive, you've had certain adult film stars become nominally mainstream from time to time. Why do you think there's still the shame? Because I think the shame is part of why the industry itself doesn't break away from some of the most egregious racial stereotypes in the movie. Well, we don't have adequate sex education in this country. We don't have adequate ways of talking about what healthy sexuality, what that is. And so then people turn to porn for sex education, which is highly inappropriate. And there's a lot of shame around sexuality to begin with. You've also studied domestic violence. That's part of the research that you go into when you have young people who get access to pornography. Because, again, you know, if you're a Gen Xer, if you're even a millennial, porn used to have to be something you'd have to go behind the beaded curtain at the video store and get a VHS tape and everything else like that. Current Zoomers have had access to this since they were 13, 14 years old. It has led to porn addictions at younger ages, people suffering from sexual dysfunction and, 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 and impotence. 
but also what is the connection that you see with sexual violence, assault, and domestic violence? Do you think that it is increasing because people are consuming certain kinds of pornography? Or do you think that the ability to consume pornography may lead some people to satisfy those desires before they take them out on someone else? All of those things are linked. We're seeing perpetrators who are using pornography in domestically violent situations, filming their victims. There are lots of websites where you can post images and videos of revenge porn. We're seeing kids watching pornography in school settings and then also sexually harassing their peers. All of this is linked to domestic violence. And I'm not saying, again, porn causes those things, but they're certainly not the foundation for healthy relationships. So we have to look at how those things are linked because it's not creating a healthy environment and healthy society, certainly. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on confronting racism in the porn industry. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about confronting racism in the porn industry. Our guest is Professor Carolyn West. There's a lot of discussion in and around pornography as to whether or not it's abusive or empowering. And you hear, especially now that we have social media, you hear young people in pornography, young porn actresses saying, no, 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 I chose to do this. This is something that I want to do. You have some men say, no, this is the greatest thing in the world. What's your sort of take on, is pornography empowering or is it abusive? Are these people just victims rationalizing their own sort of bad situation? I think it's really complex. And when we talk about choices, we really have to be asking, are these real choices or constrained choices? Do people really get involved in the porn industry because they're deciding, oh, should I go to an elite private school and become a doctor or should I store in pornography, oftentimes it's really not a choice. It's driven by economic consideration. So if people had other choices, they may make other decisions. So that said, I still want to accept that people do have choices and respect those choices. So it gets really complex. But what we do know is that there can be a lot of harm for people who participate in this industry. And we can't ignore that either. What are the 
actual harms on set? We're not just talking about, hey, if you do porn, somebody may find it years later. What are the actual harms on set to people who are participating in this kind of work? Well, some porn performers have actually sued production companies because they've been called the N-word on set. Talk about a hostile work environment. So they're not certainly signing up for that. So the emotional weight of doing that work can still be challenging and understanding that many of them, they don't select what they do. The titles are selected by the porn companies. So you think you're participating in a scene and then they change the title to Black Wives Matter. It's like, oh, I didn't sign up for that, but here you are. Talk a little bit about the abuse of Black men in pornography and how that plays out above and beyond simply being called the N-word. It plays out because, again, it harkens back to those stereotypes that are deeply rooted in slavery uh, and even after slavery, where Black men are depicted as pimps, as predators, uh, and now they've sort of sanitized it and call them gangsters or thugs, but the message is still very deeply the same. And my concern is that it tells Black men, it reduces them just to their genitalia. And if you're operating in a way like that in the world, where that's how you see your sexuality, that's not going to be the foundation for healthy relationships. One of the new trends in porn over the last several years has been uh, superhero parodies, right? And they'll redo an Avengers movie. They'll redo a Batman movie. There was a story that came out about two years ago, 2020, where large numbers of adult film stars said they would not do a porn parody of Black Panther. How empowered do Black porn stars feel to stand up for themselves in an industry that is so not regulated, so incredibly racist, and oftentimes... The rules are decided, as you've suggested, when you get to set. So now some porn performers are just creating their own companies. I mean, it is a capitalist industry. And so they're stepping back or maybe doing only fans is a way of doing that. So that's a way perhaps some porn performers have taken their power back. And they're pushing back on the porn industry. But it's again, it's pretty difficult to do because... Those racial terms drive traffic. So when you say those racial terms drive traffic, I want to get into that a bit. One of the things that's very interesting, if you look at Rame.net, um, which is sort of the IMDB of pornography, one of the things that it shows is if you're looking for a film, a film is only called interracial. It's only listed as interracial when there are black penises involved, basically. So a movie with... All white men having sex with Asian women, all white men having sex with Latina women, black women, that's not interracial. But you have one black guy's penis involved, and suddenly it's an interracial film. Talk to us a little bit about that sort of characterization of pornography and what it speaks to about sort of how the black body is used in this industry and how that reflects on how the black body is used in society as a whole. It makes sense because if you look at history, that was the ultimate taboo. Black men were lynched, 6,000 were lynched over a period of decades. And so we have been fascinated with the contents of Black men's pants for hundreds of years. And so that is the ultimate taboo. So most of the interracial 
pornography features black men and white women. And that's the most dangerous, most taboo thing that film kind of depicts. So we still see that history even today. How does racism sort of manifest itself in the pay inequality for black actors and actresses today? How are they mistreated because of the overall racism in the industry? They're mistreated because they're certainly paid less. Uh, and because the notion is that they are worthless. And so black performers will oftentimes be featured in videos that we call gonzo. So low paid, just one simple camera, not very much talking. They're not going to be in the features where companies put a lot of money behind those particular productions. So the low quality production. So they end up getting paid less and just not featured as much as white performers are. What are the long-term consequences oftentimes of women who have left this industry? What kinds of emotional and physical and psychological scars do they have? Because a lot of two people who get into adult film industry, they don't stay very long. What are some of the long-term issues that they face? I've seen everything from depression, low self-esteem, substance abuse, and also people turning to other types of sex work in order to make a living. Too many of the young women I have worked with have also then been victims of sex trafficking. And so they're making pornography as a part of that work. And so they are deeply harmed and disturbed after participating in this industry. What kinds of medical issues have you heard people having to deal with above and beyond the psychological? Okay, so we saw an HIV outbreak in the porn industry. So we know that STDs, all kinds of physical and mental health problems as a result of that, and injuries, we're seeing more strangulation in pornography. And so choking has become a big thing. In the more extreme forms of pornography, such as ghetto gaggers that targets young black women, they're being strangled, they're being called racially disturbing names, they're being hit and struck. So physical injuries, they're independent contractors, they have no health insurance. So they're responsible for taking care of whatever injuries they sustain on set. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on racism and pornography and what can be done to stop it. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about racism in porn with psychologist Carolyn West. Dr. West, 
racism is, of course, endemic throughout all of American society. But in particular, we see it manifesting it in the, the themes, the actions, the titles and pornography. The Black Lives Matter movement has also led to an explosion in a particularly egregious and exploitative kind of pornography. How has that changed adult films and porn? What kind of movies have we seen and what does it say about the racist psychology of many of the consumers that they want to see black and white porn or interracial porn in the wake of massive protests for racial justice? Porn has a history of sexualizing social justice movements. When women were depicted as pieces of meat in the 70s, they started to push back on the porn industry and they said, stop doing this. This is offensive. And the first thing that they did was create, I think it was Penthouse or Hustler, women hanging up as pieces of meat. And so they've done the same thing with the Black Lives Matter movement, and they've sexualized that. And I really think it's a way of saying, we don't have to take these movements seriously. We don't have to take racism seriously. And it's a joke. So it's a, it becomes a site where people can be as politically as incorrect as they want to be. And so they can say the things that they really want to say publicly, but they can say that in porn because porn gets a pass. For a lot of people who don't consume pornography, they often say, hey, we should just get rid of porn entirely. It should just be made illegal. Do you think that porn should be regulated more or less out of existence? Not whether that is possible, because it's almost impossible to do. But do you think that would be an ultimate good if porn were highly regulated and reduced to almost nothingness by the government? Well, as you said, that's not going to happen. And I think the key thing is to be healthy consumers, critical consumers of what we're watching and a pushback on those racial stereotypes. And to have sex education that's healthy and shows healthy sexual interactions. I think that's what's needed. And pornography too often fills that void. What is an ethical way for people to consume porn where they don't feel that they're contributing to the exploitation of women, the exploitation of men, and the perpetuation of violent racial stereotypes? How can you still consume it and not contribute to those things? Yeah, and that's a challenge. Is pornography producing what people want or are people seeking that out because porn produces it? And it's really difficult to notice. Now, there are organizations that say they produce what we call ethical porn or feminist porn, sites that sort of try to do that. But in mainstream porn, that just really doesn't seem to be happening. Those racial stereotypes are just so deeply embedded there. It's almost difficult to separate those out. So for some people consuming porn just in an ethical manner, they don't see a way to be able to really do that. When you think of the long-term impact of your work, what do you want people to take away from your research about the depictions of black women and black bodies in particular in pornography? I really want people to take away that representation matters and that images of black women in pornography and black men really permeate society. 
these images don't come from nowhere. Pornography did not create racism, but it amplifies that. And really wanting us to think about what the impact those images have on young people who are getting their sex education from consuming pornography and how that contributes to sexual violence in this culture. And I want people hopefully to be critical consumers of the images that we see throughout society and start having a conversation about this because it's not going away. Carolyn West is an award-winning author, filmmaker, and professor of psychology at the University of Washington. She's featured in the documentary, Let Me Tell You All About Black Chicks, Images of Black Women in Pornography. Professor West, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Jasmine Ellis. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.